As we go, um, as we go to the scripture reading this morning, this is a really familiar story. These two aren't friends. As a matter of fact, they're far from it. These two are brothers. Some of us understand some, something about that. These two brothers have shared a history even from birth. They were twins, and what Scripture tells us is they even wrestled in the womb. I cannot even imagine. And at the time of birth, they wrestled at who was going to be the firstborn, and Esau was the one who came out first as the firstborn. But there, grabbing his heel, was Jacob. And his name then became Heel Grabber. And he was nipping at Esau's heels the rest of his life. Matter of fact, Jacob became the epitome of manipulation, even to the border of abuse to his brother. Had just an incredibly difficult life. Jacob became that manipulator for his life, and Esau became something so much more, and a caring person for family and friends. But there came a point in the history where these two were on the verge of coming back together. And Jacob, Jacob, that heel grabber, wrestled on, this, on the edge of this river, Peniel, with a heavenly being and was touched in such a way that he was changed. Changed. And his name even was changed. From heel grabber Jacob to Israel, he who struggles with God and humanity and prevails. That's what it means. But there came a point where these two were going to meet again after these really intensely difficult lives opposing each other. And what you're going to hear is the story of that meeting. But look for that last statement. Look for that last statement as David reads. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. <coughs> holy wisdom, holy word. Thank you, Thank you. 
Anybody familiar with this? I will tell you that uh, this has become an incredible game. What this is, is Scrabble on steroids. It is an internet game where you are in competition with others around you. I mean, they aren't right there at the table with you. It's no longer the square game. It's now the whole game board is on the web and or on your phone or on your device. And you compete with others uh, in a Scrabble-like way over time. Uh, there are folks in the congregation with whom I have played this, and we have gone three to four weeks uh, in, in one game. And sometimes it just takes time. Um, I will tell you, I don't like to lose. <laughs> I'll just share that with you. Um, but, but it's fun, and it's fun. What happens, though, with this is, is one of the phenomenon that's happened with the Internet, and this is the reason this is up here, it has everything to do with Alec Baldwin. You know Alec Baldwin, the actor? He's on 30 Rock on television. He's been in multiple movies. And Alec Baldwin was sitting in first class on a jetliner, getting ready to depart L.A. And was, was playing Words with Friends. And, and the jetliner then taxis out. And as you know, as happens, those of us that fly know that there comes a point where the, the flight attendants say, it's time to put away all your electronic devices. Turn them off. He refused. They're now at the end of the runway, right? Getting ready to take off. They will not take off as long as you have devices that are on. And so the captain is communicating now with the head flight attendant and, and saying, please get him to turn off his device. He refuses. And this is the quote. But these are my friends. And I'm Alec Baldwin. Huh, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> so guess what they did? They taxied back to the gate and kicked him off the plane. To the applause of everyone else on that plane, who now are late for their next flights. Here's the issue with the Internet. It can con- take absolute control of our lives. I had a, an amazing talk with my oldest son, Adam. You saw his picture there where I, when I shared with the children. And I said, Adam, now he lives, you know, he's, as you know, he works on ships and, and has just come off this work on this yacht and is now back in his home in Puerto Rico. And I knew he was there and so we had this hour conversation the day before, I guess it was Thursday, and, and I just said, Adam, I, I want to hear more about your network of friends. And he says, what do you mean? And I said, I want to hear about the relationships that are significant for you in your life. Well, Dad, you, Mom, my siblings, you know, those are the most significant. I said, okay, now move beyond what you know I want to hear. And, and what are the most significant relationships in your life? Long pause. And he asked me, so what are you preaching on on Sunday? <laughs> I said, I'm preaching on networks and relationships and community. So I said, I want, I, I like at 33 years old, what are your networks and your relationships and, and what do you consider your community? Well, he starts off by, he lives on the top of a two-story home, or it's really three stories with his apartment on top. And he started talking about the families, and um, these are wonderful multi intergenerational, multi-generational families uh, who live in Puerto Rico, who speak only Spanish. 
So he talked about those guys, and the first day that he was there, they brought him furniture that they knew he didn't have. And then they brought him food. And then they came up and asked him, believe it or not, having no idea that he's the child of a pastor, are there things for which we can be praying for you? And then the next day, after he moved in, they went off and re- introduced him to the, the man's brother who lives just down the road this way, took him over to that home, they all had dinner together, then to the sister who lives just down the way and introduced him to that whole family, and then began to introduce him around the community. So he said, that's part of my community. It's why I now live in Puerto Rico. I said, but what about your friends? What about your friends? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, for me, at 57 years old, when somebody asks me about my friends, I can pretty immediately say, well, here's who they are. For this 33-year-old, and he knew I was going to talk about him this morning. I always ask permission. Okay, most of the time. And, And... I said, tell me about your friends. I mean, where do you communicate with your friends? Online. I said, really? That's, that's how you communicate with your friends? Online. And he said, I have a social network on Facebook. And I have probably 140 folks. And on that, of those 140 folks that I communicate with often, there are probably 10 or 12 with whom we're in a pretty deep relationship. Online. And, you know, I, I'm on other networks like LinkedIn and others, those kinds of networks, and, and I find relationships there. And because I live in Puerto Rico and it's warm all year round, I usually have 15 to 20 to 25 friends fly in and stay with me for, for a week at a time. And that's how we renew our relationships. I found that very interesting. And that's, to a great extent, where we are. Do you know that 40% of dating relationships now begin online. That's the newest statistic. 40%. But what's interesting then is you hear the story of Monte Teo. Those of you who have seen and watched the story of this linebacker out of Notre Dame, football player, spent years in a relationship, what he thought was a relationship with a young woman, only to find out within the last, what, two months, She didn't exist. And all the debate around whether he knew or didn't know, but this relationship burdened online. And this woman never existed. Didn't exist. How is that possible? Well, when your social network relationships are primarily online, it's possible. It's an interesting time that we live in. And particularly, it's an interesting time when it comes to us as those who gather on a Sunday morning together. One of the books that I'm reading, uh, again, this is about my third time through, is, and let me give you the authors, um, are, are a book out of the Gallup group by Tom Rath and Jim Harder. And the book is called Well-Being, the Five Essential Elements. And What they do is they go through those areas of our lives where if these areas are in place in positive ways, we have a much higher level of well-being, of health and wholeness. The five levels are these. These are not going to be a surprise to you. Happy in your career, in your social networking, but I'll go to that set, finances, your physical um, being, and in the community in which you live. Notice that two of those have to do with relationships. Social and community. 
What's interesting is the research that these, this is Gallup. I mean, they, this, they are researchers. The research that they have come up with, and they all kinds of longitudinal <laughs> studies and things, is that, that healthy relationships have to go beyond being online. They have to come to a point where they are face-to-face. One of the things that we found, and I know many of us, I had this amazing conversation with a, with a member of the Board of Trustees this last two weeks. Our garage door opener broke in a fiery mess. Uh, smoking, I mean, it just, it was, I don't need to go into that detail, but, it, you know, it just kind of exploded. And so it's going back and forth with this person, and, and finally, and this is a guy, and he sent back an email that was such that I couldn't figure out whether he was joking or serious. And so I joked with him back, making sure they understood that I was joking, is how in the world do I possibly know whether you're joking or serious by an email? And his, his, his quote back was, isn't that what emoticons are for? <laughs> now, do you know what emoticons are? Those little smiley faces, and it, you, you go through the plethora of emotions in these little, tiny, little yellow faces. And I said, I need more than emoticons. <laughs> but that's where we are. Social well-being, according to Gallup, has to do with first the introduction and then moving deeper and deeper into relationships. That, that is important that we don't lose the face-to-face opportunities. But we're, we're losing, in many ways, the face-to-face opportunities. All you have to do is look at our kids. More than anything, they're either on Facebook or they're texting. We finally had to take Cora's phone away. I did not ask for permission for this one. To say because she's spending so much time texting that it's now costing her some grades. And academics are very important in the Beeman home. And so helping her understand the disciplines, even at 15, of time spent, you don't need to have access to your phone all the time. You can't focus and concentrate on your studies when you're constantly having to respond to texts. But to some extent, that's where we are. And the contact needs to be immediate. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, it's interesting that we now live in this time as a church. And we live not only in this time as a church, we live in a place where the developers are all around us. Matter of fact... The developers are all around us in this sanctuary this morning. And continuing to help us get better and better about this kind of electronic communication. Here's the issue. Here's the issue. We will become less and less and less healthy as humanity the more and more and more we count on this as our singular approach to communication. What these men, these two men, these authors are saying is it has to be a combination. Social networking online is fine as long as you understand the parameters and the potential ill health of that. But what further defines us in in much more significant ways begins with our family, but that's not all. It then grows in concentric circles with those with whom we are in relationship face-to-face. Our friends, more and more studies are coming out with, are as integral a part of our own development and our own definition 
as our families. Did you hear that? Those people with whom we choose to spend time are as integral a part of our development and our well-being or lack thereof as our families. What does that say to us? Choose well. If our friends are unhealthy, even obese, guess what? We have a tendency to move that direction in our own lives. If our friends are healthy, we have a tendency to move toward that in our own lives. We used to think this was just kids. This was just something for our children and youth. No more. But then they take it two steps deeper. Step number one. That not only are our friends important, but that we need we need intimate friends in order to truly go deeper in our own well-being. We need friends beyond our family, beyond our spouses, beyond even our children, with whom we can share at some deep levels. We need that as humanity. The second piece, equally important, is that we share ourselves in service to others. That is where true and complete wholeness comes. When you have that kind of opportunity and create those opportunities in your lives. And that brings us back here. Not just to this church, but to this faith. Jesus was amazing in his wisdom. Jesus clearly understood that there were Jacobs and Esau's in the world. That there were those who struggled all the way through life and felt like they had to manipulate. And there were those who just saw all the positive things of life and everything in between. And his teaching focused on not just one singular piece, but all of those pieces, on how we move deeper and deeper in an understanding of what wholeness is. For him, it was about being enlightened, of understanding where that light and warmth and peace comes from. And he taught as many as 5,000, sometimes greater numbers, but knew that, that if those folks didn't engage in these conversations with each other, that that message could be lost quickly. So what Jesus did then is he formed a smaller group. About 120 is what Scripture says, and it was that 120 that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost who heard and felt the power move through them. And that those 120 then took it into the world. But even he said that... That is too large for anything to go deeper. So he formed a group of 12. What is it? There's another slide there, Tom, of a circle of folks. What is it about small... No, not that one, the one right after that. There it is. What is it about a group like this that's sharing together the needs and the concerns, the hopes and the dreams? What is it about groups like this that allow us to become better people. Jesus understood that and gathered together 12 friends. Yep, his family had been a part of the movement, but this intimate group was 12 friends. But then there were events in his life where it needed to go even deeper than that. He had a mountaintop experience that we call the transfiguration. Guess how many of his friends, his disciples, he had up there with him? Three. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's to be killed, 
How many were there with him in the deepest levels of that anguish for him? Three. These numbers are significant. Ever deepening circles of trust where we feel like we can truly be ourselves and risk ourselves in relationship. It's truly incredible. Two thoughts as I close. One is, if you read my blog, you know that now you know that I went to see the Book of Mormon, the musical. Holy Moses. (laughs) It was very hard to sit and watch this musical. This was an absolute, and I will say appropriate in some ways, attack on religion. It was religion in its worst put on stage, made comedy, and musical. It was hard to watch. I I will tell you, it was exceptionally hard to watch, and I don't recommend it to most of us, particularly in this service. It's graphic. As I said, there are parts that are R-rated and parts that are X-rated. But I think every pastor on the planet should see this musical. Every single one. Because underneath all of it, as you unwrap it, what you find is that relationships will win over dogma every time. Every time. That relationships are the most integral part of what we do. Because otherwise, it's just words and not necessarily words with friends. It's when we win each other's trust, when we work to deepen the relationships, that true transformation can happen in us and in others. We're geese. Now the bee. The bee, please. There it is. We're geese. You know how much I love organic nature kinds of things. If you don't know, what's phenomenal about geese is if one goose goes down in the V, two will fall. Two will follow and fly alongside, even and stay with them on the ground, until they're either able to fly again or die. And even after they die, they will stay, these two, with them for a period of time. The reason they fly in a V, and most of you know this, is because that one in the front is creating a slipstream of air behind them. They're cutting through the wind and cutting through the air in ways that allow those in that V to stay aloft with less stress and less strength. And those in the back of the V will constantly honk encouragement to the one in the front. And when the one in the front finally gets tired, it will fall back and another will assume the position in front. It's what we need to be. It's what community of faith needs to be. When others are falling, we need to be there with them. When others are struggling, we are there with them. We need to know each other well enough to know the honks of each other. To honk those words of encouragement. To be there in support. And when one gets tired, one another one steps up and takes over the leadership. We need to be, it's the perfect metaphor of or where the church is going. Friends, the only way that I know of to do that, and you notice some V's are huge, most V's are not. 
most of them are about this size or a little bit larger than this. Because they know that the larger it is, the tougher it is to stay within that formation. It's in smaller groups that we find strength. And you're going to hear more and more about this over the next two to three years of how important it is that we find those groups of folks with whom we can be in deeper relationships. Not online, but face-to-face. Checking in on each other, potentially online, but face-to-face. It is what the church is becoming more and more and more. And recognizing the need for this more and more and more. It's no longer just about worship. Maybe it never has been. It is all about relationships with God and with each other.